Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who had a super cool experience this week. I watched a bald eagle from my from my bedroom window. Um, yeah, it was, it was so cool seeing this big old beautiful bird, um, and uh, it's amazing how large those birds are. But 40 years ago, the bald eagle was in danger of extinction. Extinction is forever um, throughout most of its range. And it was because of the use of a pesticide, the pesticide DDT. It decimated the eagle population. Uh, Rachel Carlson wrote a book called Silent Spring, and activists rallied. And because of the activism, the federal government banned DDT. And today, more than 300 thousand bald eagles soar over the U.S. Yay! And I get to see one out my window. And yet today, this year, one billion pounds of conventional pesticides are used every year in the United States to control, control, that's like that evil guy in the Lord of the Rings, to control, to control weeds, insects, and other pests. And that's according to the U.S. Geological Society. So that figure is on usgs.gov. So at the same time that humans are using a billion, a billion pounds of pesticides, billion pounds of pesticides with a B, more than 40% of insect species are declining and a third are endangered. Now, some are talking about a collapse of nature. So on today's Food Freedom Radio, we're going to be talking about pesticide-free free landscaping, bee lawns, and so much more. And with us is our dear friend, uh, Russ Henry, uh, owner of Minnehaha Falls Landscaping. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Oh, hi, Laura. It's great to be back with you. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Okay, so what's the problem with pesticides? Oh, my God. Goodness. <laughs> the problems are innumerable. And so we need to think about what the pesticides are doing in the landscape. Also, where the pesticides come from, where are they manufactured and what's happening there? And then where do the pesticides ultimately end up? And when we start asking ourselves those questions, I think it's pretty easy for us to start abandoning the use of pesticides. First of all, where they're manufactured, we could look in the United States, down in New Orleans, uh, between uh, Baton Rouge and New Orleans, along the Mississippi River, there's an 80-mile stretch of uh, of area of land, there are massive amounts of chemical petrochemical com- companies in there, including Monsanto um, and Dow, and they're producing Roundup uh, in and ingredients for Roundup in that area, and other many many other chemicals. And in that area, there's a higher percentage of both African American population uh, than anywhere else in the state, and a higher percentage of cancer than anywhere else in the state. It is environmental racism. And um, we can see that also when we look at where pesticides end up. Because what happens because of global freeze and thaw is the chemicals that are in our soil go out into the atmosphere following the water cycle, and then they end up accumulating in colder areas in the North and South Pole. And so what happens is there's still DDT in the breast milk of uh, Native American uh, or Native people in those areas um, who live off of the whale and blubber and the seal fat and the fat of the fish and the DDT that is still used globally and still remnants of from our use and even still allowed for use in certain areas in the U.S., um, still DDT and other chemicals like it end up accumulating in the fats of the organisms in the global north and south uh, 
in the in the far north and south, and they uh, then move through the food chain and accumulate and and are expressed in breast milk um, of of mothers in in the global north. So, so a billion pounds of pesticides, and I think there's almost this myth or lie that these we'll create a billion pounds of pesticide, and then it's just going to miraculously go away. It's just going to kill the things we don't like, and then the rest are going to go away. But those billions of pounds of pesticides stay. They stay. They're here. They're here. When we manufacture them, they stay here, and they just continue to change and transform and um, wreak havoc at every stage of transformation. So the USDA and USFWS estimates that more than 67 million birds are killed by pesticides each year in the United States. It's um, affecting birds. You can see neonicotinoids affecting deer in Minnesota. Um, Every single animal species on the planet is threatened by pesticides. It is incredible what's happening. The the uh, insect decimation that you've talked about. Um, you know, Minnesota recently named uh, Rusty Patch the uh, the state bumblebee, and they did that because it's facing extinction, and they're trying to draw attention to the fact that if we don't take action, then we're going to lose some of our state's most beautiful um, uh, residents. And 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 uh, Rusty Patch is a indicator species species, and so as Rusty either succeeds or fails, so do hundreds, if not thousands, of other insect species. And pesticides in the United States is primarily used by agriculture, but about a quarter or one-fourth of them, one-fourth of the pesticide use is used in houses, yards, parks, golf courses, and swimming pools. Yeah, right in in our public areas. And um, we've been, you know, uh, through Be Safe Minneapolis, which is an organization that I I founded in 2017, we've been working to try to eliminate pesticides in parks and uh, and schools uh, since our founding and since before, actually. And and, um, we've had some successes and and I got to tell you it's it's uh, both completely uh, inspiring to to see uh, the transformation that uh, some people are willing to engage in and that some municipalities are willing to engage in both in their own homes and um, and and then on a larger municipal level you know getting the pesticides out of some schools and parks so we've we've started a pilot program in North Minneapolis. Uh, at a um, at a middle school, at Franklin Middle School, we're doing an organic uh, soccer and football field there, and we've got the pesticides out of that out of that space where the kids are, and that's so critical because pesticides. Uh, the, I was going to say it's it's both inspiring and it's terrifying that they're still being used because pesticides, especially affect children at, at critical stages of development. If pesticides are present. Uh, development does not occur as it should biologically, um, and we are robbing our children of their biological inheritance of their health. I know, and we talked about it. It's, just, it, it's so frustrating and can make you so angry. I mean, three uh, three juries took a long look at Roundup and the connections between Roundup and, and cancer, and they, they said, of course it causes cancer. The evidence is overwhelming, yeah. and yet we're still using all this stuff. It's still ubiquitous, and yeah. it's— <laughs> <laughs> and and people need to know that Monsanto, just like Exxon, knew for years that they were causing climate change. Monsanto knew for decades that they were causing cancer. And they have internal memos called the Monsanto Papers that everybody mm-hmm. should look up yep. that really expose – you know, internal emails that show that they know what they're doing. And somebody sold to Bear and mm-hmm. bought it, you know. So it's 
I'm just, I, as I say, so just get tired of humans. But I, I, and I, I know someone who recently took a walk in Lebanon Hills, and this happened like two weeks ago, and they saw this frog. And, mm-hmm. and so they picked up the frog, and it's like, this is weird because the frog is limp and seems to like me pick it up. And so I moved it around. And then they saw the sign that mm-hmm. said spraying done here. Well, they immediately ran home and took a bath. So tell us a little bit about Be Safe Minneapolis and the work um, to get these stupid chemicals out of our These systems. awful chemicals. Yeah, we uh, found some deformed frogs in a Minneapolis park, uh, and a whistleblower found them on the park staff and let us know that these were found after a dumping of Roundup into a body of water at, at Lake Harriet, above Lake Harriet, a small pond above there. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, there, it's amazing that these things are still allowed, but we're going to continue moving forward because at, at Be Safe Minneapolis, we do – um, a lot of education. So we get to go into schools, we get to go into communities and, and we get to talk to people. And uh, it's so amazing to talk to the children and uh, of all ages, you know, and, but especially the youth who get it, that the world needs a hero and they're looking to us and they're like, hey, hey, will you be a hero? Mm-hmm. And so that's the question, you know, will you be a hero? Mm-hmm. And everybody can be a hero. And it doesn't matter if you have a, a, a thousand acres or a front porch or you don't have any space at all to grow. You can still be a hero because we all affect the land. Mm-hmm. And the land affects all of us, too. The land affects all of us. Yeah, it's a give and take relationship. It is. It is. Yeah. And uh, I, um, uh, so uh, how can people learn about Be Safe Minneapolis? Be Safe Minneapolis. Uh, be Safe MPLS dot org. And tell us what, what people will find if they go to Be Safe Minneapolis. You're going to find resources and uh, you can sign up so that you can take the pollinator pledge and mm-hmm. say that we're not going to use any pesticides. And we're going to grow native blooming habitat plants in our landscape and uh, we'll try and source organically whenever possible. Keeping in mind that if we eat organic food, then we're starting to be a hero for the pollinators out there already just by eating mm-hmm. organically because that means that no pesticides were sprayed in our food. Right, right. And um, and I like what you said about the world really needs heroes because there's just so many problems right now. And yeah. it can feel overwhelming. And I can also uh, – it just – it almost it, – it's, it's so easy to uh, – uh, to be overwhelmed and to want to armor and not be able to be present to what is happening right now. I mean 40 percent of insect supplies and what's happening with the monarchs, what's happening with the birds. Mm-hmm. It it is overwhelming uh, emotionally and spiritually and physically, mm-hmm. uh, and I think what we need to do is um, become empowered with education, and um, that education and that empowerment can be a tool for connecting with each other. Yeah, um, and so um, and you so you are a landscaper committed to one hundred percent pesticide free lands uh, pesticide free pesticide work. free absolutely we're all organic we don't use any pesticides one hundred percent natural we don't use any synthetic fertilizers and we're a hundred percent focused on soil health so at Minnehaha Falls Landscaping we're rooted in soil health is what we like to say and that means that we focus on soil microbiology on growing healthy ecosystems. Birds, bees, butterflies, the whole thing. And humans, too. And humans, too. (laughs) You're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking with Russ Henry with Minnehaha Falls Landscaping. When we come back, we're going to talk about bee lawns and uh, blooming trees.
back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland, and with us today is Russ Henry, owner of Minnehaha Falls Landscaping. And Russ, you had an experience with the bumblebee today. I- oh, wow. You know how you were saying that you got to see the eagle. Well, I was watching a bumblebee uh-huh. the last couple of days out buzzing around on the honeyberries in my front yard. I love honeyberries. Oh, my gosh. Me too. And so I'm so grateful for the honeybee out there buzzing around uh, or the bumblebee out there buzzing around because it is, of course, pollinating and making sure that it's uh, bringing a little pollen between the multiple honeyberries I have in my yard because I love them so much. And then they make sure that the the flowers turn into fruit. And um, some people may not be familiar with um, um, honey honey bush berries, but they're great because they don't have any thorns. Right. And they're tasty. Yeah, honeyberries are wonderful. They're very tasty. They're actually related to honeysuckle and also blueberry. And so they look a lot like blueberry and they kind of taste like blueberry. And um, if anybody has ever tried to grow a blueberry, they might know that, you know, the soil can be a little tricky for blueberries, but not the case with honeyberries. It's very easy, very, very easy, easy to, to grow. grow. Yeah, I, I grow blueberries, um, but my big tip is we do get a real Christmas tree. There you go. And so every year we take our real Christmas tree and we compost it near the blueberry patch. And we've That's been doing perfect. that for like, what? 20 years. <laughs> That's perfect. Yep. So the blueberries do awesome with that. Um, so, uh, so what can so – let, let's talk more. So to start, if someone is um, using the zombie grass <laughs> that's popularized in, in, in Monsanto culture, I mean, how do you, how do you start – how do you even start? you start with the soil? You, how do you start? Sure. Where does it all start? It, so it starts in our hearts, right? We have a little bit of transformation. It starts with that bee flying by and making us happy. Uh-huh. And then how do, we, how do we make a space for that bee in our, in our landscape so he can keep on coming? Well, of course, the foundation of every healthy landscape is the soil. And so uh, growing healthy soil will generate a healthy landscape. Um, And uh, the number one way to grow healthy soil is to make sure that it's covered in something green all the time. Because plants are the soil health promoter. They actually take about 40% of the sugar that they produce through photosynthesis and they spit that out of their roots every day to feed the soil microbes around the roots. And when we're talking healthy soil, we're talking healthy soil microbes. That's what healthy soil means. It means a living food web of microbes under the, and larger organisms under the earth that eat one another and live together in a, in a community. And the complexity is really um, quite amazing um, that's living in our soil. And um, unfortunately, I can't remember the doctor's name. He's a medical doctor and a professor of, um, at the University of Minnesota. Um, and he's um, involved in a microbiome project. Oh. And it's fascinating. Um, you know, it's helping. It's just a really fascinating all of the things they're discovering. But when he even started that, it was like he was looking at the soil scientists. This stuff gets complex in a very miraculous way, doesn't it? Soil is perhaps the most complex substance on the planet. Every square millimeter of soil is different than every other square millimeter of soil in some way. And um, mostly it's different through genetics. Uh, there's different DNA throughout the entire soil profile of the entire planet. <laughs> and, and each one of us has our own DNA. Yeah, it's incredible. And then and then that soil, uh, the soil microbiology um, lifts up and grows onto every organism on the planet. And so we're covered in soil microbes and when we're healthy. And when we're not when we're not covered in those healthy soil microbes, then we're open to invasion by um, 
parasites and, and other organisms, you know, flu, virus, and these kind of things. And so in order to keep myself nice and healthy, I make sure and come in contact with healthy soil on a daily basis, um, you know, get some on, the, on my hands, and, and regenerate those microbial communities that are supposed to be growing all over our, our bodies in a good way. Um, I'm not like pig pen. I'm not out there rolling around in the dirt, but you know it is important to come in contact with some soil, and especially kids to be around some some dirt and some soil yeah. and actually touching it. There's a lot of good medical reasons why we should do that. And so to have, um, what would your dream of if, if you could if 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 everything went the way you wanted to, everything went the way that your heart's saying, how do you think the Twin Cities would be? What would our lands look like in ten? Oh my Twenty gosh. years from now, uh, ten twenty years from now, some of our um, our roads are replaced with wildlife corridors and community garden spaces and uh, urban farm spaces um, that we've uh, stopped building stadiums and started uh, making sure that everyone ha has a place to live and that there's healthy food available for everyone. Yeah, and then and once everyone has more, then everyone will have more, and it kind of can yeah. bike up. And and how yeah. many pollinators would we have? And, right. There's know. no reason that only rich people should have everything they need. Uh, people who are of low income should also have all of their basic needs met. It it's just fair, you know. It's just only common sense that we would make sure that people aren't just suffering all over the place. Well, but that's not. We don't seem to have that common sense. And you know, and it, it is. It, there is something about the structures because um, I, I kind of nicknamed this um, economic roulette capitalism mm. that we're living under. You know, some are going to be do good, good, some are not. Economic roulette capitalism. And when we think about the um, under that economic roulette ca capitalism, some people are making money selling mm -hmm. a billion pounds of pesticides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is doing so much damage. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So we want to talk, and now I'm going to jump a little bit because we want to make sure we talk about <laughs> blooming trees and shrubs. Let's have some fun here, Let's too. have some yeah. fun, too, and, and cirrus berries and choke cherries. And so— So blooming trees and shrubs really are a huge way to get the pollinators uh, into the landscape and support them and give them a place to be and to be. <laughs> because uh, they're filled with blooms. So that many flowers, if, if you imagine a, an apple tree uh -huh. or a crab apple tree or a service berry, choke cherry, completely filled up, pagoda dogwood filled with flowers, that is so much food for the pollinators. It's a big buffet. It is. And and because uh, we've had, a, uh, in, in our yard, we have tons of these. I mean, we get this beautiful sound of spring when the pollinators come. Is mm. You can just go out and hear it. That's great. It is awesome. So um, so people should people could be doing this in the yard and also um, in finding those benefits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody, if you've got a landscape, might want to think about what native trees and shrubs could we bring in that will bloom? Not only are we going to be blooming on the front end and supporting all the pollinators, but then on the back end, those blooms lead to fruit. And <laughs> and that fruit, oh, the birds, you know, they love the, the dogwood fruits. They love service berry. You know, and people can eat service berry fruits. Yes. And, of course, if we're planting a pear or a plum or an apple tree – then everybody's going to be happy there. You know, the the wildlife will get some, and we'll get some of that too. Yeah, I've got like three choke cherries and tons and tons of birds. Oh wow, that's awesome! Yeah, the birds just go nuts in my yard for the, the honeyberries and oh, the choke cherries, yeah. and and you know, I get some of it, and I think of it as a food forest where we're all eating. We're all eating, and then and and, uh, and then the blueberry is funny because I get it. There, there's this big fat uh, robin that will sort of guard the blueberries. Yeah. <laughs> 
I love that. That's so great. <laughs> so I'm sort of like, he's sort of like, he's like, well, that's okay because we're going <laughs> to. The hands off the blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, if somebody um, people can people can contact you Absolutely. for advice and how, how do you approach? Yeah, it? we do design, installation, and maintenance of landscapes for our clients. We work all over the Twin Cities, putting in pollinator-friendly gardens, bird-friendly uh, bees and shrubs. So people can go to minnehahafallslandscape.com to connect with us. To connect. And when we return, we're going to take a break. And we're going to come back. We're going to talk all about bee lawns and how to turn your yard into a bee lawn. If you can do it in a fast way, do it in a slow way, but do it. Get your yard a bee yard. Pollinators. Yay. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on uh, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We can work it out. Um, you know, uh, 40% of insect species are declining and a third are endangered. And the United States, we're still using a billion pounds of pesticides. But we can work it out. But we can, we can work it out. it out. We can return to love. We can work it out. So um, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. And in studio is Russ Henry, uh, Minneapolis Falls Landscaping. And um, bee lawns. So we're going to take a deep dive. What's a bee lawn? Oh, bee lawns are my favorite new landscaping thing. And, <laughs> and uh, we've been doing them at uh, my first business, Giving Tree Gardens, which is still in operation. And we still do them at Minnehaha Falls Landscaping. We've been doing them for about 15 years now. And it's essentially a bee lawn is a walkable space where you get to have a lawn. You don't have to mow. And the pollinators can find food. And so it's a mix of grass and some things that we've sometimes called weeds, but are actually really good for our lawns. But is this going to decrease our property value? <laughs> well, if, if a potential buyer, if you get to tell them, hey, you don't ever have to mow this lawn. I think that might be a major <laughs> increase in property value, actually. <laughs> I think so, too, especially with young people are usually the ones that want to buy the houses afterwards. And I think a lot of people are getting the message that pesticides are linked to cancer yeah. and, and that 40 percent of the insects are being killed. And maybe these um, ideas of what creates order and control yeah. is kind of not as fun to live in. Monocrop lawns are on the way out. People are kind of getting sick of it. They want to see the wildlife. They want to know that wildlife is still here with us. And so they want to see that right in their front yards. Yeah, and you know, you want your land safe for dogs and kids 365 days of the year. Yeah. Why why wait? No reason to be tracking in those pesticides. So, what we do is we have two ways of transitioning lawn spaces into a bee lawn space. So, in order to get our mix of fescue grass, which is our our basic grass, which is a Minnesota native grass that only grows about 6 inches tall, that's the base of the bee lawn mix. And then we blend that with white clover and self-heal, which is a, a prunella vulgaris. It's a purple bloomer, really pretty little little uh, number. And then uh, creeping thyme is in the mix. And those plants then blend together in a couple of ways that we, when we install them into landscapes in a couple of ways. So how we do it is we can do a slow, turn, slow kind of long-term moderate transition 
where we're aerating and overseeding a few times per season until you feel like you've got enough of those elements in your lawn and and the bee lawn transition is is you're seeing enough bees and it's and it's good for you. We can continue transitioning along that way until uh, until there's no more Kentucky bluegrass, or we can just do it for a short term. And so there's a, still some Kentucky bluegrass in there. It's not 100% fescue. It's not a pure bee lawn, but that's okay. Once you get the bloomers going, at least then you're doing the basic habitat. Um, if you want to transition to fully no mow, like you don't ever have to get out there and mess with it, then we can do that moderate transition over a longer period of time, a few seasons. And then by the end of that, you're basically all fescue and and clover and, and self-heal. And then you, you don't have to worry about the mowing anymore. Or In a lot of the cities and um, yep, a lot uh-huh. of people are promoting the fescue grass now. They are. Uh, you know, the entire University of Minnesota campus is all fescue grass. I did not know that. Yeah. They still mow it weekly, but uh, it is fescue. So oh. that's kind of neat. Um, and so this is the grass that's the basis of the mix. And then we have a rapid transition that we can do. So we, if you're sick of mowing and you don't want to do any more mowing at all, which <laughs> is a lot of our clients, then we'll come in and just take up all of the lawn. We'll use manual sod cutters and cut it all out. And then we'll roll it up and compost it. And we aerate the bare ground, put some seed down. We then put some compost down and a little more seed on top of that. And then we roll out a plastic-free, biodegradable, all wood-based mat, kind of a blanket over the top of that. Mm -hmm. And we make sure then we staple that blanket down. We keep it moist. And uh, we help we help our clients learn how to keep keep it moist by watering appropriately, and then, boy, the grass grows up through that blanket that we've laid out, and it all biodegrades away, and um, the all the the pollinator friendly seeds grow up and start blooming, and um, we've transitioned some some kind of prime real estate throughout the Twin Cities using this method. It's gorgeous when we're done. It it's a blend of grasses and. Um, broadleaf plants that are low and walkable and you don't have to mow them. And then it's filled with butterflies and bees and mm. mo- and all kinds of, you know, and you get the hummingbirds coming by and everybody's finding something to eat out in the lawn. Wow. That is, that sounds so cool. And I know, um, so uh, like, well, I actually, I don't remember the statistic, but Mowing actually is it, it 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 takes a lot of gas. Not only does it does it take a lot oh. of time, but it's actually it takes a lot of gas. So it's adding to the climate change crisis. My gosh, it's it's so horrible. Um, you know, mowing is something that we're trying to move all of our clients away from uh, because it not only takes up the gas, and then you got to manufacture the motors and all of that, but you're mowing over the bodies of all the insects that are trying to use your lawn. Because yes. it's it's the law, it's the outdoors, it's where they're supposed to live, and you actually are mowing over bees and you're killing them with the mowers. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. So hey, you know, if you could have a no mow <laughs> bee lawn, you get the best of everything, and you don't have to. You get your weekends back. <laughs> you can take a break. You can drink some tea or some wine on the porch, and you know, chill out, and and it and you let that lawnmower go to rest while the bees and the butterflies and the birds are finding. A habitat in your lawn again, a habitat where it should be outdoors. And when they have a habitat, then the birds also do better. And I mean, it, it cycles up the whole way. I mean, yeah. uh, birds have to eat insects. That's a major portion of their diet. Uh, 
And so when when we give a space for those insects to grow, then we're essentially feeding the whole ecosystem. Right. And I started this story talking about the bald eagle, and there's a lot of good mm. news out about the bald eagle, 300,000 bald eagles. But there was a story out today about um, actually they did a study, and it's like 80, 90% of bald eagles have rat poisoning in them. And so if that's true with that's our rat awful. poisoning, it is awful. So isn't that also true with our birds mm-hmm. that are eating all the billion uh, billion pounds of pesticides and how we're putting that in a yard? So instead of that, have the bee yards. Now, how does does dandelions get into these bee yards and how does that work? Yeah, it's really up to the client. And so if you don't like dandelions, then they can stay out. Um, dandelions are actually great for bees. And, you know, uh, so is... Creeping Charlie. Yes, and, I know. It, yeah, yeah. And, a, and a lot of people are kind of reticent about these plants. But I'll, I'll tell you, um, Creeping Charlie, nobody likes to creep, and everybody should like Charlie. So we gave him a new name. Uh-huh. And now we call him Good Time Charlie. Uh-huh. And the reason we call him that is because the bees and uh, the bumblebees, honeybees, all the bees love him. Right. And so, I mean, in my yard, where the um, the um, the good time Charlie, mm-hmm. um, when they're under the the raspberry bushes and yeah. under the blueberry bushes, then they're actually wonderful. They're nice yeah. and compatible. Yeah, that that's a cover crop essentially, yeah. and that you know that is a blended species. You know, that's what our organic farmers who are um, kind of on the cutting edge of soil health, they're blending species to make cover crops and they're having their producing crop up above and something like a Charlie or a Clover down below. So how does the bee lawn work for soil health as opposed to monoculture zombie yards? I have an opinion on that, but... <laughs> hey, just tell it like it is. Okay? You, know, you don't, don't got to hold back. <laughs> I've been actually, we've been just, I'm, just, I'm just actually really angry because I think 40% yeah, of insect yeah. death is kind of too awful. high. It's, it's too high. It's, it's, so it's I'm sorry if I'm offended by calling no, your, your yard zombie right, yard. You're right. But 40% you're right. of insects are dying and um, I it's am... It's a crisis. It's a crisis. We have to do something We have to do it. something. The difference between a zombie yard, I like that term, and and a bee lawn is health in every dimension. And so whether you're looking under the soil and you get deeper roots with a bee lawn, much deeper roots, six, eight, ten inches deep. In a zombie lawn, you get a half inch maybe, an <laughs> inch of roots. So then that means you're going to filter water down through a bee lawn, unlike what we call the green concrete. The, the lawns that are treated with pesticides and fertilizers where they don't have a root zone, much of a root zone at all. They're reliant on the top inch of soil because that's where all the fertilizers are. And instead, we grow healthy soil all the way down. So in our bee lawns, we take those, fertil- those um, synthetic fertilizers away, and we're growing health all the way down. That health then extends out of the soil. The bees are getting healthy. You're not having to track any pesticides into your house by walking on the lawn that's just been treated. So instead of that, you're walking on this clean, biologically safe and um, immunologically intelligent space. <laughs> I love the way you said that. And and what then what you get to do is revel in the glory of health instead of dealing with the issues that come along. And Russ um, Henry um, with Minnehaha Falls Landscaping, you've also been working with golf courses and school systems. School systems, uh, park systems. We're trying to get uh, as many organizations to um, be able to learn, uh, self-train, and and learn how to uh, manage organically. It's not as though, as I like to say, this isn't rocket surgery. And so uh, essentially – what we're doing is um, teaching people some very old methods that uh, were here 
growing great turf and and crops long before the pesticides were, were here. And we've got modern machinery that make it very easy, very easy to do. But um, it's really old methods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay, so uh, bee lawns, um, um, and so a bee lawn can fit into like you can do rain gardens or bee lawn. Um, is there, there's a, a bee lawn may not be the thing for everyone. There's a whole bunch of different oh, wow. tools you can yeah, use. Right? There's so much fun you can have for pollinators in the landscape. You could plant a pollinator patch and um, invite in, uh, you know, Joe Pieweed, Meadow Blazing Star, Echinacea, um, uh, Calamintha. All your favorites, and, and you know, get some uh, little blue stem growing in there, some some native prairie grass, tie it all together. Beautiful pollinator, you know, some New England asters uh, on the on the on the fall end, and um, maybe some bloodroot on the very early spring end. All of this, so that you're you, you're tying together the season of blooms for pollinators, bringing them together throughout the season. That's one way you can do it. You could do a complete restoration, uh, a shrub and um, uh, ground cover, perennial garden, uh, replacing lawn. We do that a lot with spreading shrubs and spreading ground covers and perennials. Um, it's a we, we call it a habitat restoration lawn. Um, it's very easy to do. Uh, for us, um, and we essentially just remove the lawn that's there and replace it with a beautiful set of blooming shrubs, um, perennials, ground covers that keep the weeds out because they grow together. We work the soil up with compost before before we plant, and and then we inoculate the plants with the right set of microbes so that they, the fungi grows out in them. Yeah, because we want to talk about the difference between synthetic fertilizers and the oh, type of work yeah. that you do. Because mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of problems, too, with synthetic fertilizers. Oh, yeah. We don't use any synthetics. We, we do use some fertility, but it's all organic and it's non-water soluble. And that's something that maybe we should touch on. Let's talk about that when we return from break. Um, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. Uh, with us is Russ Henry with Minnehaha Falls Landscaping, also Be Safe Minneapolis. Um, and again, this is Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. 40% of insect species. Um, are in decline. Um, you know, the bald eagle once was almost going to go extinct, and people rallied. We got rid of the DDT, and it made a difference. So we can do the same thing with bees and pollinators and with life. Um, once we embrace its both its complexity and its individuality. The world needs a hero. The world needs seven billion heroes. Seven billion her- heroes. It needs us to all be a hero, and I think I think we all have the capacity to be a hero in some way, shape, or form. We were talking before the of the break about uh, fertilizers, mm-hmm. and I wanted to come back to that if if, if that's sure yeah. great. Um, because I wanted to make the point that it's so difficult to navigate the world of fertilizers, you know, as a when, – when my clients tell me, you know, when they're just beginning trying to figure out well, what's going on. How do I know if I'm going to put down something that's going to be good for the lawn, good for the soil health, good for the waterway down the street, all of that. And um, really the – what we've found over time in, in, in studying soil microbiology and soil health is that – 
you can have organic fertilizers that are just as bad as synthetic fertilizers. The difference is water solubility. And so we get fertilizers, we utilize fertilizers that are non-water soluble. They, they're not based on urea, which is um, most of what soluble fertilizers are based on. Uh, and a lot of organic fertilizers are based on that. And um, so we use organic fertilizers that are non-water soluble. That means that they have to be broken down by bacteria. Basically, the nitrogen in the fertilizer turns into proteins in bacterial bodies and then gets um, eaten by nematodes and microarthropods and amoebas and released. That protein then is kind of transformed back into urea and peptides and other forms of nitrogen that the plants can then take up. These are very efficient forms of nitrogen for the plants to take up. Um, the least efficient form of nitrogen for plants to take up is nitrate. And um, that's what most of the synthetic fertilizers in our lawns are made of. So when we put a synthetic fertilizer down, not only do is it the least is it the least efficient form of nitrogen for the plants, but that synthetic fertilizer, because it's water soluble, goes into the freshwater sponge that the soil is. And it starts to wreak havoc because it changes the chemical balance, the pH, and the salinity of the, of the soil environment, of the water in the soil environment. And that water in the soil environment is feeding all of the fungi, the amoebae, the microarthropods, the nematodes, everything that's alive. And so we've heard about nitrates in the water. It's a huge problem. And what, 80% of the waters in Minnesota are Nitrogen having problems. Impaired. And so it's all because of the nitrous. And so what type of fertilizers do you recommend then? What Give us some examples. So I'm not going to say brand names, but okay. I'll say that we want to ask our manufacturers and our sellers if they have non-water soluble organic fertilizers. So okay. we want to make sure that the fertilizers don't have urea in them. And um, so I use a fertilizer that is based on soy. It's an organic soy fertilizer, and it's um, it's a, a, a pelletized product. Um, that's the kind of thing that that I would be asking for, for our house plant. We have two really large fish tanks, so we actually just take the water from our Perfect. fish tanks and use that yes. in our house plants. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, but before we go, we've got to make sure we talk about patio and hardscapes and all the other type of work. We've got, a, but you do a lot of work at Minneapolis Falls Landscaping. Yeah, we do complete design, uh, maintenance, installation of landscapes of all different sorts, and so we have a landscape architect on staff and uh, excellent crew, and we. We install landscapes all throughout the Twin Cities, patios, walkways, retaining walls, and then we surround them with healthy soil and healthy gardens, pollinator-friendly spaces. Low maintenance is the name of the game with our landscapes. Especially going into retirement. I mean, you know, I, you know, you want the low maintenance. And edible landscapes can actually be amazingly low maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. Once established. Those honey Bush berries. The honey berries, for instance. Berries, yeah. yeah. Uh, so many wonderful fruit trees and shrubs that we can bring in. Very low maintenance. We give them uh, some some perennials and ground covers underneath so that the perennials and ground covers can catch any fruit and kind of disguise that so you don't you don't even see it on the top of the ground. And um, that becomes an extremely low maintenance space. 
Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and you're, you you use three three names. You have Minneapolis Falls Landscaping, Giving Tree Gardens, and Be Safe Minneapolis. So that, that's right. Yeah, um, we have three organizations in one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all Ross Henry. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so in uh, 2005, I started Giving Tree Gardens because I wanted to be able to offer an organic alternative uh, in in landscaping. And and back then, there really wasn't much going on for organic in landscaping. And so. Um, we started doing uh, lawns and installation of gardens, and uh, we, we grew and grew. And then in 2017, I bought another landscaping company, Minnehaha Falls Landscaping, that's been in business for 60 years. And um, we have a great uh, staff and history and uh, clientele, and we're all over the Twin Cities making wonderful landscapes. And because of my work with Giving Tree Gardens, I was able to transition the uh, Minnehaha Falls Landscaping into an organic company after we after we purchased it, um, and so now we have a much bigger organic influence than we did before, and I love that. And so we're growing more more habitat all over town, deeper roots, healthier soil, all throughout the Twin Cities. That's so cool. Two minutes, um, and be safe, Minneapolis. And be safe, Minneapolis. That is our nonprofit organization that we started in 2017, so that we could reach out to communities. Schools, churches, uh, neighborhoods, all sorts of organizations and individuals, and help educate people about how we can help pollinators in the landscape. So, whether that's getting pesticides out of the parks and out of school grounds, or, and when we've helped do that a number of times, or whether that is um, creating more habitat, you know, taking, taking, taking up some of that lawn. And you know the best lawn is a garden. Replacing replacing some of your lawn with garden can really do a huge habitat, uh, be a huge habitat booster in in the landscape. And um, how should people reach out to you? Minnehahafallslandscape.com. Folks can get a hold of us there, and then we'll sign you up for a consultation. We'll come out and visit and talk with you on site and see your landscape and uh, exactly what we can do to help you achieve your dreams in the landscape. So that's minnehahafallslandscape.com. And then also bringing this broader, so maybe if you're a member of a church that has land or a small business that has land, you know, trying to really encourage these bee lawns instead of these mow and... Absolutely. We've, we've helped churches and organizations and companies all transition their spaces so that they don't have to spend money on the uh, lawn maintenance anymore. And instead, they get to have the bumblebees buzzing around outside the back door. So last minute, and there's this, this um, idea that in, in nature, every every tree is an individual tree. Every human is the one and only human. You are the one and only Russ Henry. I'm the one and only Laura Hedlund. And yet we kind of have this, uh, and, 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 and each bee is the one and only bee. That's right, right. yeah. We're all individuals. We all have an individual life and knowledge and purpose. And we need to recognize that in our in our friends out in the environment. And and so this whole idea of this monoculture, it's sort of like I don't I don't think I'm going to say the Emerson quote, but the hardest thing to do is be yourself. It's like allowing our the nature in our land to live its authentic life and allowing ourselves to live the authentic life. And no more Mordar. <laughs> that's right, Modar. Yes, Stop that. Right. I'm saying that wrong too. But a billion pounds of pesticides, forty percent of insects dying. That has got to stop, and it can. It's got to stop, and it can. It can. With you. So thank you so much, Russ Henry. And thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio. Um, And have an awesome week. Enjoy spring. Thanks, Laura.